with all the bike trips. By day five, if you've been in the saddle, 12 hours, eight hours, by day five, you're pretty well in shape. So it, we've, we've experienced that. And, and perhaps um, maybe other people our age wouldn't have had the confidence they would want to train. But you really, your body adapts uh, a, a lot. So we, we did have that comfort level. I think it really brought us closer together because we had to be such a team. You know, and you know, there were some difficult moments. There were some moments when we were exhausted. There were some moments when we were wondering, do we have enough water? There were some moments when I got us lost. The other highlight sort of was, as I reflect back at it, and of course, a third of the trip is the memory, <laughs> is the kindness of the kindness of, of strangers. The only condition was uh, to pay it forward. So that was really inspirational. They even offered uh, linen sheets for us. So we, the next day, signed up to be hosts for warm showers. That's Liz Henderson and Bob Almack. And this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hello again, friends. Welcome back to the Bike Pack Canada podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Hope you've had a great couple weeks. The snow is here, so I hope you got your fat bikes out. I switched my wheels over the other day, and uh, but it's been kind of that shoulder season-ish type stuff over here in Invermere. It's kind of wet and sloppy, and uh, I haven't been out yet, and that's okay. Uh, I'll get out soon enough. Looking forward to some more snow to ride in. I can't wait. For those of you who haven't uh, pulled the pin on getting a fat bike yet, I was talking to some some guys the other day, and um, or I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I said, man, do you have a fat bike? And he's like, no, I just, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, you got to get a fat bike. Um, for those of you who are avid cyclists, without a fat bike in your quiver, uh, I would highly recommend uh, investing some time to think about it. And uh, obviously, you'd have to invest a bit of money as well. But it's uh, super fun. And then when you enter spring, you're in shape. You've been training you're that butt and those legs all winter. And I tell you, riding a bike in the winter is hard work. And you'll come into spring feeling even stronger and fitter than you uh, you entered winter. So uh, I'd highly recommend it. Get out there, do it. Get some uh, good gear and dress warm and have a good time. Well, I don't have any voice memos again today, uh, but I would like to encourage you all to send me something to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. If you're on, on an adventure or a camping trip, or even if you're just sitting around feeling inspired, uh, send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what everybody's up to, what your thoughts are. Um, also, uh, you can email me guest recommendations and uh, feedback about the podcast. Also, it would be great as we uh, continue to try to grow Bike Pack Canada if you could head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Uh, that would be great. Uh, if you don't like the podcast, don't give me a rating. <laughs> I would just encourage people to head on over and uh, g- uh, give us a five-star rating and um, throw a review in there if you want. I've got a couple uh, reviews from the last few months, um, and it warms my heart to know that I'm resonating uh, with you guys and you're enjoying the content it means a whole lot. So today I bring you Bob Almack and Liz Henderson. Uh, you can find Bob Almack on Facebook 
And uh, Liz Henderson is on Instagram, but she has no posts yet. So maybe uh, we could all encourage Liz to post some of her inspirational writing that she does and some of the training she does to get ready for these big trips. Um, so Bob and Liz uh, finished the uh, Great Divide mountain bike route on October 7th. Uh, they were on the road for 68 days. They had four rest days, 61 days in a tent, 5,000 kilometers, 250,000 feet of ascent. And I tell you, to hear these folks talk about um, the uh, adventure and their stories and uh, just the way uh, the trail connected them as a couple and also just connected them to humans um, was just super inspirational. And I think, um, you know, as as I get a bit older, I sometimes worry that, you know, am I going to keep, am I going to be able to keep riding my bike, you know, as, as I get older and, you know, you start feeling the aches and pains. I'm not that old of a guy. <clears throat> I'm not even 50 yet, but I see a, a lot of older riders in our, uh, in our uh, community that are just so inspirational, you know, people who are even on the, on the, on the tour divide racing, some people are doing this in their seventies. And I think it speaks a lot to just the, the great sport it is and how accessible it is for everybody. So, uh, you know, sometimes I worry if, you know, I, I feel rushed that, you know, if, oh, if I'm going to do the tour divide, I better do it soon because, you know, I don't know how long my knees are going to last or this or that and the other thing. But remember years back, I worked at uh, Whistler as a, as a rental tech and um, a gentleman came in and from the States and I think he was, he was well into his seventies and he rented a, a hard boot set up snowboard. So, you know, like a carving board, uh, hard boots and bindings. And I was setting him up and honestly, I was, I was a bit worried. I was like, have you done this before? And he goes, Oh no, I'm going to get out there and just give it a try. And, and I told him directly, I said, man, that's, that's inspirational. If I, if I can still get out there and snowboard when I'm in my seventies, um, I would have done something right. And I think that's fantastic. And, and the words he said, and it resonates to this day is moving water. Don't freeze. And, uh, you'll hear Bob in this, uh, podcast near the end, just talk about, how important it is to keep moving, keep the body moving and, um, moving, moving water don't freeze. Right. So as long as we keep moving, keep active, uh, and stay healthy, um, there's no reason why we can't be riding the tour divide into our later years. And I, I just, I think it's just fantastic. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this one. Super inspirational couple. Um, you know, they worked as a team, uh, and they got her done and it's, it's awesome. And I, I really hope you enjoy this podcast. And now I bring you Bob Almack and Liz Henderson. Well, I'm Bob Almack, and we live just outside of a small rural town, uh, Port Perry, Ontario, mm -hmm. uh, northeast of Toronto. When we were doing the Great Divide, I told the Americans we met that we were uh, 50 miles from the Raptors. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> a little, a little dig <laughs> at, our, at our NBA championship. Oh, and I'm Liz, Liz Henderson. Well, we've been married 34 years and started bike touring quite some time ago as our first sort of foray into long distance cycling. And most of your touring, so did you kind of start cycling together as a couple or did you cycle yeah. before? Yeah. Sometimes I would have I would go on weekends and be lost for a couple of hours here or there. Yeah. But we bought a long haul trucker yeah. bikes 
and Bob was uh, teaching in BC. What was the date of that, Bob? I was I was actually a uh, reading specialist with Anishka. Okay. Up in Ass Valley, uh, north of Terrace. Oh wow! Okay. And so I was already up there. Uh, on a and so it just made sense that uh, you know when the school year was over, the, you know I was already up there. So so we flew Liz and her bike up there and we started our cross Canada tour in Prince Rupert where no, where nobody starts like everybody starts in Vancouver but it it was a great decision did you stay north or did you come down and then head well, over we, well we stayed we stayed as far north as we could so we cycled to Jasper okay right through through Prince George so we stayed north as far as we could. We followed the Yellowhead Highway, I guess, to Jasper. Okay. I have to say we were very green. We rode into Jasper, and the local bike shop, we asked them to blow up our tires because we weren't quite sure how to do it. So. <laughs> well, that's pretty green. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's, that's with a little hand yeah. right and pressure and everything. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we were that. Yeah. Because one of the first presents I gave Liz pre-marriage was an old Nishka road... Nike. No. Nishiki? Nishiki. Nishiki. Nishiki bike in 19, what, 73. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, and then we... So Liz was still working, and so we actually did our Trans-Canada tour the hard way, and that is over over five summers. Right, just section by section? Yeah. yeah, so we did Prince Rupert to Calgary, then then Calgary, Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg uh, to... Tobermory. Yeah, Winnipeg to Tobermory, uh, and then Tobermory... Or it's May Tobermory Riviera Duluth. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Riviera Duluth, and then Riviera Duluth to Sydney. Yeah. And then in 2015, for a little retirement celebration, we rode the length of New Zealand. Oh, amazing! Over ten weeks. Yeah. And and here I'll interject just the way we do things. Uh, we had booked the plane tickets quite some time in advance, but I didn't want to know much about New Zealand until we got there. So we encountered a senior citizen in the subway at Christchurch, and we, we asked which is a, a highway, Auckland, I'm sorry, which, which way would be the best way to uh, start our bike trip? So he just said, go north. So really the next day we got on our bikes and, and went north. And it, we're just so uh, enamored how our lives on the road work with all this great stuff that comes with just that serendipitous approach. So we, we usually do that. And with the Great Divide, didn't really have a clue other than getting um, the venture cycling book. But And maps. Yes, but it, it worked out really well. So it was good not to plan ahead in any of our trips. And in 2017, we contacted Sustrand. Someone in New Zealand 
told in the told us about Sustrans, which stands for Sustainable Transit. It's a nonprofit, and we followed their route from Land's End in southern England all the way to the Orkneys in northern, you know, in the Orkney Islands north of Scotland, and that was 2017. So, so lots, had, lots of miles, uh, eh? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and we've just had the privilege of being retired and being able to take time. So it, uh, it's been um, really wonderful to have five weeks in the UK, uh, 10 weeks in New Zealand. And this last trip with the Great Divide, it took us about eight and a half weeks. So we were able to be yeah. sort of slow-mo and enjoy it and, yeah. and just not have the pressure. Was the Tour Divide always on your bucket list? Like at, at what point did the Tour Divide enter your world? Um, a long time ago, I had read about the Continental Divide, long, long time ago, and I thought that would be really cool. So I'm not sure exactly, just in the last year or so, I heard about the Tour Divide and then went forward. Everything, all my information's really been on looking at the internet, because in Ontario, yeah. there aren't that many people that are bikepacking. It, it's growing. But it is. I really never heard of it or what kind of bikes, so it, it was a lot of reconnaissance by flipping through um, bikepacking yeah. websites like yourself. and but the, but the credit for doing the Great Divide was Liz's idea. I hadn't even heard of it. I'm actually still working. Liz is a retired nurse, and I have a company that tutors dyslexic kids and adults to read around, around the world. So I sort of took, a, I, took I guess, my first 10-week leave of absence <laughs> from from online reading tutor and said okay guys you run it and, and i literally had a 10-week break from that which was great the other thing for this last trip and actually for the previous trips too i i don't intentionally not connect to the internet but i went a few weeks without checking my uh, gmail and then it went on and i i really had a break the whole time and it was very nice not to be wired. We both appreciated that and uh, how calming it is not to hear so much news and politics. It was a great, great uh, respite from it all. So out of the 68 days, we had four rest days. And we put up our tent. We camped in our tent 60 days. That's amazing. I was I was kind of going over your uh, your pictures and and some of your stuff this morning, trying to get get to know you guys a little bit before we got online. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, a, a lot of people will hotel it, right? Yeah, over well, that time. So, in our view, they're not really doing it. They are, <laughs> and it's good that they're out there For and sure. participating. But uh, and also, uh, a lot of people. I think it's totally different when you go self-supported. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And what I would say, too, is so many um, people will say, how can you stand your husband 24-7 <laughs> the time? But you do get into um, a mode where you're always planning, strategic planning about the date ahead, and we both built on our, our strength. Uh, I can be fairly systematic in my thinking, and Bob's, good with ideas he's great with doing all the navigation with electronics and i'm good about going into a store and getting three days worth of 
food within a couple of minutes and yeah. making it work kind well, of that way. Too. It sounds so, like you're just a great team. Yeah. So yeah. you just, you don't have that yeah. much time off because by the time you get cleaned up from the day, make dinner and plan for the next day, it's often time for bed. So it, it, we really were a sort of a machine that worked together. And that in itself was nice because I had to really rely on him and he had to rely on me and it's very tangible. So yeah. it, it kept us really close. Yeah, we really needed each other. It would have been very, very difficult. I could even say probably wouldn't have done it on my own. Any, Everything from, well, yeah, it's just, I think it really brought us closer together because we had to be such a team. You know, and you know, there were some difficult moments. There were some moments when we were exhausted. There were some moments when we were wondering, do we have enough water? Mm. There were some moments when I got us lost. <laughs> Perhaps uh, from uh, past experience, too, I, doing different athletics, I, I've hit the wall, and I know what that is. So sometimes when we had uh, wind or it was cold at 2.30, we were going to decide whether to go on or, or set camp. And up the, the magic moments were when we did do that push, when we got that second win and we made it happen. We got to a destination that we really wanted to get to. Uh, there, there was a sense of pride, but I, I did have that comfort le level to encourage Bob that it's all right. We can just push one pedal at a time and, and we won't bonk. And having that sort of judgment really allowed us to really push and feel comfortable with it too. I'm sure being a nurse, you would have uh, more insight into uh, physical well-being as well. Like you could probably sense these things happening, like your energy loss or sleepiness or... Sure, yeah. But it's also sort of the bent of, you know, living life with gusto. Yeah. So sometimes when it was raining or, you know, we just put a positive spin and, and look at the humor of it. And if you didn't... Uh, keep that positiveness and look always at the, the best of the day or are grateful how the day turned out, then it could be a downward yeah. spiral when you were hungry or aching mm -hmm. or whatever. So we really were always, I'm grateful for this. Uh, get up in the day. It's a brand new experience. Not really having a clue where we'd end up, but just embracing that adventure. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the new adventure that was so good, right? But I think we also came into it with good self-esteem in terms of our physical ability. Like Liz is a marathoner. Uh, I'm a cross-country ski marathoner. I completed a ski, you know, 166K two-day awesome. ski marathon. <laughs> That's so a we, long way. So we both, so we both uh, uh, came in with a high self-confidence in terms of, you know, even though like yeah. I did it when I was 68, you know, we're both in our sixties. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just to also say um, because of that confidence, uh, we pretty well cocoon in the winter. We cross country ski when there's snow in Ontario, but we really hadn't uh, biked that much. Maybe eight times before we got on the pedals to go that, that spring and and uh, summer, but with all the bike trips, by day five, if you've been in the saddle twelve hours, eight hours, by day five, you're pretty well in shape. So it, it, we've we've experienced that, right. and and perhaps um, 
maybe other people our age wouldn't have had the confidence they would want to train. But you really, your body adapts uh, a lot. So we, we did have that comfort level. And yes, I think the intensity level too. It's like, you know, the the intensity of it is 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 a bit lower than, you mm-hmm. know, you're in more, the, more of this aerobic state than this anaerobic state all the time. So, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not in depletion. You're just kind of cruising. Uh-huh. And right. And you're, you're in your head a lot and, mm. and not in, in thinking great thoughts, but just the whole sensory being able to smell mm. and the birds, feel the wind on your face. You can really take it in is, is all part of that experience of pedaling. So I often have termed it, uh, oh, I just have really enjoyed being in La La Land mm-hmm. because you, you really slow down and it's just a nice change from busy thinking to, to be able to just take in all, all the nature. The other thing that happens with bike touring, bike tripping, is because you're going so slow, your mind remembers so much of it. And even a, you might be cued in with a picture you see, but I can close my eyes and see so many of those days and scenes that they really solidify in your your mind versus sort of uh, going in the car fast and not taking yeah. it in. It's like a slow burn, a slow burn into yeah. your brain, all the memories. Yeah. Do you, like the scenery, the scenery lasts a long time. Yeah. And you have, and you know, you, you have the, the freedom to, to just put your foot down and take it all in. Right. If you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so I was going to ask, did you find that, uh, you know, you, you guys are pretty experienced. Did you find that the riding the tour divide, uh, tested your limits more than any other trip you've done? Yes and no. Do you want to comment and then I will? Well, okay, I, I can. And, and we'll, we'll call it the Great Divide because the Tour Divide is more the race. Mm, okay, I fair enough. Our, I think you have to complete it within 30 days to call it the Tour Divide. <clears throat> so uh, we did the, the Great Divide. But there, there was, it was very interesting in England, there really was, it's an old country, so they didn't have surveyors doing graded roads. And uh, especially in Cornwall, when we were biking, it was up, down, and around, almost following sheep runs. Right. And that was, whereas uh, the West is new, and there are there is um, a tangible layout of how they go about putting logging roads um, up to a mountain. So you could really, we, we started thinking in terms of miles for one thing, and then you could sort of feel the lay of, of how that uh, mountain summit was going to be with, with the grade. They often would term some of the roads as serpentine, and I thought that was descriptive because you're just uh, going slowly all the way up. So it was nice to have that knowledge that there is a way up, slow and gradual, and the real, real icing on the cake was going down because mm. we often were going down 20 miles solid. Yeah, never that's amazing. And, yeah. and so it, it, hard work to get up, but just such a thrill to, to give it all the way down. I think that um, we had to be very – it. yeah, I can comment on that. My immediate thought has been that in terms of one of the great enjoyments was um, we all of a sudden what matters is 
Do we have enough food? Are we going to have a headwind? Are we carrying enough water? Um, when should we eat? Um, and, and one of the things I may have underestimated was the amount of that if how valuable clean water is and how how important calories are mm -hmm. and i really had a huge appreciation i've always had an appreciation for our first nations uh you know pre-contact but i really had a, an incredible appreciation during and after this trip to for them to have thrived without fossil fuels um we had the luxury of of uh you know when we you know when we stopped to eat we could boil water in three minutes yep. <laughs> right just turned on that little butane stove <laughs> so I, I had a huge appreciation uh, for that. And I also developed a, a tremendous appreciation for the human body. Mm. And that's sort of borrowed from one of my favorite books, Younger Next Year, that explains the science of exercise and how that our body is this amazing machine that if you ever have extra calories, they're stored as fat. Because you never knew, in our evolution, we never knew when we wouldn't be successful hunters. And, and, and this is a very physically demanding trip. We both lost 30 pounds at the end. <laughs> I read that. That's fantastic. What a great, what a great yeah. diet. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing too is a, a takeaway that I'm I'm really glad to have had this experience is by the time we entered into New Mexico, we were told there's no water, and so we were prepared. Any guidebook or reference on the map with the uh, that there was water, we just totally removed that from the equation. So we were able to decide what we needed. Shipped a fair bit home. Well, we shipped home things all throughout. Uh, I guess four times, but I was down to one T-shirt for the day, and mm -hmm. and we were very very lean on what we had, but we needed to carry a lot of water, so sort of ten liters to do us for a day and a half overnight and cooking mm -hmm. was sort of the the amount that I intuitively was able to to come up with to work. But it, it did take a bit of time to, to figure out what we needed. And there's so many variables. If we were caught with a, a flash flood, we could have been somewhere for a long time if there right. was such a thing. Or wind stopped us for a day. So there was always an edge. But water was certainly uh, uh, something that we were very aware of needing uh, throughout New Mexico. We did have filters and iodine. So we ended up taking water when we may not need it just to have a reserve being being aware of how yeah. scant it is and also uh that 
pure water. We have our culture, like the the cattle industry owns the public land in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. There was not a single water source that was not contaminated by cattle, not one. Yeah, there's free-range cattle, so uh, we, we really saw cattle just about all the time on the trip. Even wilderness areas, uh, there was cattle. That's interesting. Yeah. I think when you go out in that environment, I mean, you basically said it, you have to respect the environment you're going into, right? And you can't take yeah. any, I mean, I think it's okay to take a risk from time to time, but I think in, in the case of, of uh, just food, water, shelter, yeah, you can't go in with any presuppositions that you're going to be able to find any liquids, <laughs> right? So well, there's taking risks, but no one wants to take a risk with E. coli and your kid. Oh, that no, no, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, just generally though. Yeah, it yeah. makes me really appreciate like the riding I do around here. I've since I started bike packing, I carry a filter with me as well, and I live in BC, and you know some of the climbs I do, I can just drink right out of the creek, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. uh. You know, you got to listen to your spidey senses. You know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of think, well, there still could be a dead elk up in that creek, right, laying yeah. in the stream. So yeah. you always take a little bit of risk there. But you, I think we really take, maybe as North Americans or at least as Canadians, I think we take uh, access to fresh water for granted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And mm-hmm. I know, Bob, from reading, you're looking at your side, I know you're, you're very active in, in your environmental concerns. So, um, yeah, water, fre- access to fresh water is just so important. Yeah, and it, and this sort of then, then you realize the, you know, the importance of providing fresh water to people in Africa, mm-hmm. so that so women don't have to walk ten miles. Mm-hmm. It re- you really that that becomes from it just heightened it just heightened my awareness. Yeah, I imagine you come back with a little, a little bit of a different perspective on, on yeah. the environment when you come back from a big trip like that, and then, then you know you're yeah. you're crossing all these different environments, these all these different ecosystems. Sure. Yeah. 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 Just uh, just with that too, uh, I really hadn't spent much time in the mountains, and it was just great to to experience new, the thin air, um, mm. how cold the were, the gorgeous color of skies and how suns can go down fairly readily into the evening because of being in the mountains, so you have to be prepared. The stars are just fantastic. Oh, for sure. And we mm-hmm. saw um, not a lot of wildlife, but uh, birds, especially in plateaus on top of mountains, don't fly up high. They're, they're around the, the trees and bushes, so we were able to, to hear a lot of birds. And throughout uh, Colorado and New Mexico, there was a lot of elk, so you could hear them uh, with their bugling, I think they're called. And, and so that, that was a real treat as well, too. We didn't uh, encounter uh, grizzly bears on the path, but certainly had stories from people that were going along about the same time of that. We saw a few black bears, but it was um, just, just really lovely to be in a whole different habitat. And also... Especially in New Mexico, um, we just love the Hilda natural 
Park yeah, Reserve. Yeah. But you were able to sort of see different life zones every other mile or so going up. The altitude changes, mm. the types of wildflowers are different, and uh, whether you're on the lee of the mountain or not. So there was a lot of diversity when, when you were going summiting a mountain and, and, and back. That was just uh, thrilling to, to be able to be just there to see and go forward with it. One of, one of the things that I was impacted by, you know, and in my, you know, in my 20s, I was an outward bound instructor in northern Canada. So I, I, I understand the benefits, the psychological benefits of overcoming physical challenges. And that was just sort of reinforced with this because, um, like every day, we would get on our bikes and cycle between 40 and 50 miles and climb several thousand feet. And doing that day after day after day uh, had a, I came back thinking I can do anything. <laughs> Right. I, yeah. And I think and I think it's very, very important that we expose our children to safe, uh, challenging, physically challenging adventure. Absolutely. I th yeah, I think that's very I think that's very, very important. And there was there was one particular one I'm looking at now. And that was the Indiana Pass. So on that day, about a 25-mile climb, it's about a 40K climb, up to 12,000 feet. I think Del Norte's at about 6,000. Of course, it's all big switchback. But, at, but we were told we had to carry water uh, because at the top of the Indiana Pass is a super fun site. And from an old gold mine, and the water is contaminated with heavy metals. Right. So not only did we have to do that 25-mile climb, but then we had about 15 miles on top of the Indiana Pass before we could start to go down. And, yeah, that was a, that was a particularly uh, very, very challenging, demanding day because we had to have so much weight. Oh yeah, water's so heavy, so heavy. Yeah. So, um, did you have? Obviously, it was challenging overall. Um, I always like to ask people, like, like, tell me what what was one of your most challenging days on that trip? Well, for me, almost every day turned out wonderfully, and this day did too. Uh, at the end of the day. But in Wyoming, by the Great Tetons, it's very populated with tourists. And there's a trend now for people to rent these two by side-by-sides. They're like oh, yeah. 18. They have yeah. the shock and can go anywhere. So a lot of our route uh, that day was just populated with these vehicles and uh, the dust that they kick up. And I had never really bumped in my life, really. But uh, we were trying to get out of the, the touristy area and up to what's called the Tohi Pass, and by 4.30, I just stopped. I could not really pedal anymore. I was so depleted. The campsite that we were, thought we could go to, 
it was closed down because of all the grizzly bear activity in that area. So we, you know, ended up quite nice. We spent uh, a lot of money on a lodge and, and um, welcomed the sheets and, and shower and such. But it was just feeling, even if I wanted to push that uh, length to get up to the pass, at the top, I, I physically couldn't. And it was a little bit unnerving to, to feel that way. So what, that was my what about you? What about you, Bob? Yeah, I think that I think from yeah that that was that was definitely that was definitely one of them. Um, uh, but I think the but I think the Indiana Pass was even more because of the headwind and the um, and this sort of brings maybe to another discussion. Um, Although I really, really liked our bikes in many ways, uh, the gear ratio that came with it mm. was 30-46. And with the very, very long inclines and carrying sometimes 10 pounds of water, that's only four liters. Yeah. Um, that 30-46 ratio was not good enough. And we did make a change uh, in, um, in Steamboat to, uh, to change the gearing from 30-46 to 28-46, and that helped. But I would... Uh, but in your, you know, if you're in your 50s and 60s doing this route, you probably want a 50 or a 52 on the back. Um, because now we, Liz and I cycle differently. Liz tends to like to grind. I'm definitely a spinner. She's, she's a torker. Call that a torker. Yeah. <laughs> A piece about uh, walking. I think it's good oh, to stretch your calves, and absolutely. I do think Bob, uh, you know, sees these twenty-something males uh, spin up a, a mountain and wants to follow. So uh, it's just, I guess, uh, your comfort level on how fast you want to always go. Yeah, I think gear ratio is super important. Uh, and I think yeah. resigning yourself a little bit to walk. I, I think that's like mm. even some of the races. I only done a, a couple of races. But uh, on some of the climbs, I can walk way faster than I can climb, and that's with a twenty-six. Yeah. Like a, yeah. yeah, it's really steep. But there was, but with yeah. that thirty forty-six, a big gear. There were there were a lot of things that that we would have been faster and more comfortable with a different gear ratio. Yeah. So that's sure. something I've learned. In fact, I'm going to write the manufacturer and say, you know, we spent a lot of money on these bikes. We're happy to be an advocate. There's a lot we liked about them. Uh, but you know, help us out with this gear ratio. Yeah, and it's just yeah. also the decision making. What do you really need in terms of what you pack up in your kit, and what's yeah. a bare necessity? That after getting rid of some stuff, you don't even notice that you've had it. So I think I started off with three tops and went down in New Mexico to one uh, t-shirt, and really with the dust and, and sweat. I could get two t-shirts dirtier one, so you sort of rationalize that way. And most of the people we met had uh, just uniformed, they had a down jacket, so when you got off your bike, even if it's not that cool, just 
go to, to put a new top on and a down jacket, and then you, you just are going to be comfortable throughout the night. So that's, that's a go-to item to have, especially in the mountains. Have you found over the years of, of your touring that you've, you've really minimized your kit down to some really basic essential pieces? Uh, same old, same old. We did uh, send uh, four packages back. Well, mats and such too, this mm -hmm. time around. And every trip we've, we've done the same thing too. So. Yeah. For example, I, I started off with, you know, with, you know, with two chamois with, you know, with two, uh, and it, uh, one was a bib, you know, one was a farmer John where, you know, you yep. the loops and then one was just shorts and I sent the farmer John off back. So it is, there's another beauty thing of this. It just really reinforces living minimalist. Uh, but we could certainly talk about the equipment we had. We, you know, you definitely want a wool layer. You definitely want wool. Um, you definitely want a quality raincoat and pants. I, I can, uh, yeah, we had, uh, and I went with only wool socks and I would support that just even for the stink value. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the biggest reason and dry quick, but, uh, the, the wool was supreme in every way. So, and we had encountered some cyclists. There was one time in I believe it was Wyoming there was a big storm front that came so we had both our down raincoats and pants on and uh, decided not to bike anymore and these fellows thought they could brave through it and a number of them got hypothermia oh. the mountain being mm -hmm. so high cold wind mm -hmm. it can be so severe you really have mm -hmm. to watch that you do have uh, what it takes not to get too cold because yep. you can do that get cold very fast and pick your battles too right yeah 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 like we had this one sudden sudden storm in uh in montana we were up pretty high there was no protective tree cover and we could see it coming like we could <laughs> see the so we um we immediately even while we were still riding put on our rain gear but then, you know, we, we pulled into a place where we could, you know, where we could put up our, our tent, but we didn't have time. But because of our extensive, you know, wilderness experience, we simply grabbed our tent fly, sat on it, and then put it over us, and then just huddled together and waited the storm out. And it was a brutal storm. Yeah. It was very windy, hail, cold, a lot of rain. But we sat there for an hour eating jerky and we were fine. But if we had tried to put up our tent, uh, it would have been a mistake. Big mistake. The other thing that uh, we really didn't put together when we were planning um, was there's so few bike stores. So if you have a fancy bike that needs uh, expertise uh, in, in repairing it, that could end your trip. I think there was about four bike stores along the way that really knew their stuff and had the inventory to fix bikes. 
but they could be hundreds of miles away. So that would be a, a piece of advice. Make sure you you have really good tires that uh, you, you have simple gears and just a solid work course. It's better to have the weight than just to have light with the probability of something could be wrong. And the, the road surface has changed so much from pavement to huge rock gardens and, and thorns can be a, a contention as well too. So having a really sturdy bike pays off in spades. And what, what were you riding? Were you riding tracks? Yes. Yeah, track 1120. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. Ha- happy with those? Yes, yeah. yeah. They were except, really sturdy. Except for the except, gear ratio? Yeah, except for the gear ratio. We were re- really happy. They have a very unique um, uh, how, to, uh, how to hold your gear. Like what the rocking system? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I really like the front rack on that bike. I think that's yeah. really yeah. handy. Yeah. And I like the and 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 their side bags, their side bag, their unique patented side bag holders, really, really hold your 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 stuff very very close to your bikes, so it's not vibrating and moving. Um, and it's and if you and if you can't if you need more room than what they hold, then you're taking too much. Right. Yeah. So we we talked a bit about the lows, um, and obviously getting to getting to New Mexico or getting to Mexico is the ultimate high. But what was what were mm-hmm. some of the highs you've had? Uh, I had, I just love being in the open, and it was such a thrill to be in this Wyoming basin. Mm-hmm. We pedaled for three days, and to see miles and miles and miles in every direction, and to tent and look at the stars and just see so many i really liked that experience and and we were able to just go so fast uh, they were just undulating little hills and you could then see where you had gone so that that to me was uh the ultimate thrill to be be there well you bob i yeah i think that um i think just the you know, part of it was the closeness I felt to Liz, um, and the and really being in the wilderness and and being confident and self sufficient and and really just focusing on the here and now. Mm. Um, I think we can all learn to be more present. Yeah. Right? The other highlight sort of was as I reflect back at it, and of course a third of the trip is the memory, <laughs> is the kindness of mm-hmm. the kindness of, of strangers. Mm-hmm. And I think that to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I may have been clouded thinking that all Americans are like Trump. And that was totally sh- um, the, and of course, it's mostly Americans because that's, you know, we crossed the border on August 8th. We only had a week in Canada. Uh, but just the kindness of Americans to us, uh, offering us water, um, a, a couple in, uh, in Whitefish uh, went out of their way to, you know, to, to host us at their home 
And the only condition was uh, to pay it forward. So that was really inspirational. They even offered uh, linen sheets for us. So we, the next day, signed up to be hosts for warm showers. And that was just a, such a wonderful experience. Uh, they're, they're often called trail angels, yep. people that are intentful to, to uh, do good to the bikers. Uh, in New Mexico, there was a, a big uh, cooler with jugs of water that was available to us. And, and, and that just uh, just made us feel so good that mm. there was people out there looking for out for us. But even right. random acts of kindness. Bob was um, biking, and this guy in a black truck reached over and gave him a clump of green grapes <laughs> to eat. And mm. uh, a number of hunters, especially in the uh, Colorado, New Mexico area, uh, they didn't hesitate to stop and, and say, do you want some water? But I do think a lot of people that live in mountains realize that there are, there are risks and that they, they're, they're very fine to be helpful to, to people. And it, was, it just really made our days to have so many nice people. We had uh, one in, uh, spot in Pie Town in New Mexico where this lady years ago had opened her house to uh, mostly Great Divide hikers, and then she got older, and she kept her house open. She moved out, but just through uh, donations, it's, it's a house she can just walk through the door and, and have a shower and, and uh, have a bed, and, and people yeah. do. And, it's, and, called, it's called Toaster House. Right, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes you just yeah. feel so warm uh, to, to be the recipient of uh, such kindness. Well, we had another example in Wyoming where we had to get water and we had, it was a difficult climb over a barbed wire fence and it was obviously cattle polluted, but we had to get water. And this guy pulls over in his truck and, and gives us, and at the time we were actually with, had met a couple of other cyclers. Anyway, he just donated 20 liters of water. I says, I don't need it. I'm going home. Take this. And that's just, yeah. Um, he also made a comment on how concerned he was that, uh, that Trump is opening up um, that habitat in Wyoming to oil and gas exploration and endangering a, a, the sage grouse. But I mean, that's just a little, that's just a little conversation with an ordinary American. And we did meet a lot of people on the trail, not every day, but it was interesting how uh, we were all going the same direction. Some were going faster than us, but if they took a day off, we would catch up to them, and there's a bit of piggybacking. And you just, uh, you, you very much bond with other people. Mm -hmm. And when we were biking, we would be looking at tar prints and thinking, oh, who is that? Or <laughs> when we met up with somebody, oh, did you see the German or the people uh, from here? And it was, uh, it, it was really uh, fun to, to be just, just really keen to be part of their lives. And, and they showed interest in ours mm -hmm. as well, too. Uh, one, uh, it was a campsite just behind a saloon in the middle of Colorado. And this w w young woman, she'd be about uh, 28, uh, from Sweden, 
she she was doing the uh, the the trail on her own and felt very safe. But she got up early and started out to the next uh, summit, and just um, shortly before we had to do a real real push, there was we saw um, a note on a tree with <coughs> with a candy hanging on it, and, and a note said, "You know, keep on going. You're great." Great, you only have 10 miles to go, and it, that is just another random act of kindness that was shown to us. I'm so looking forward to riding it. I, I hear those stories all the time about the trail angels and the people, and I think uh, bikepacking offers a, a, it's almost an entirely different society, right? And it, it always seems to be mm -hmm. kind. It always seems to be kind and supportive mm -hmm. and encouraging, and uh, it's, mm -hmm. it. I think, it's such a relief because I, you know, everyday life mm -hmm. not necessarily is that way. Right. It's, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it can be a struggle, but when you, when you break it down just to the bare essentials, food, water, shelter, and people. And I think that yeah. there's a, there's a connectedness there that I, I think people sense. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. One of, one of the, another highlight, although at the time it was a little bit annoying, but, in order to avoid serious leg cramping, I would have to drink quite a bit of water at dinner, right after the after the day cycling. Which which meant for me, because of course at sixty eight I still have my prostate, so it meant I had to get up and pee at least three times a night, and. Uh, but I sort of forced myself when I had to to kind of look forward to it. So I'd get, put my glasses on, I'd go out, and I would enjoy two or three minutes of looking at the spectacular heavens mm -hmm. and seeing those millions and millions of stars. Millions? That was pretty trillions yeah. and upon trillions upon trillions. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I saw that many, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think that's the spin that we always had. That's our narrative. Oh, we're so fortunate to have experienced this. Or it, we just always kept a positive. And, and I, it has a, a lasting effect when we've gotten home, too. I, I just feel more positive with things. Yeah, it puts things yeah, in, that, in perspective when you when you mm -hmm. can see the sky like that. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think another message I would give to people that might be listening to this is that 60 doesn't mean you stop. Life goes on. You've got another 20 good years. And just do it. Uh, you know, and, and, that, and that's not only physical, but mental. Mm -hmm. If you're 60, it doesn't mean you, you, you shut down and do nothing. You contribute. You can continue to tribute, contribute. You can continue to make the world better. And you can be physically healthy. Yeah, and that's just one pedal at a time. We weren't yeah. going fast whatsoever, yeah. uh, but we were making it happen. And uh, it, 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 you make your own trip, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Now it did frustrate me, and I had to get my head around that sixty. That sixty-eight is not twenty-eight or thirty-eight. Yeah. So I had to mentally. It's, I know it probably sounds totally crazy, but I had to accept the fact and be kind to myself that I was doing great 
even though I couldn't keep up with a 28 or 30-year-old. Who whizzed up the mountain. Right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 48, and I've experienced that because I've ridden with people who are 38, 28 and and yeah. you know I, I i feel like i'm i feel great i think men in their 40s you're just kind of reaching your your mm -hmm. your peak really i i feel mm -hmm. that way but um yeah when when you see the the 28 year old the next day and he's like hopping around he's like woo i had such a great ride yesterday and as much as i ride i'm still feeling it i'm just like oh yeah man my back sore and my legs are sore from chasing you through the forest <laughs> yeah i appreciate that and i think you're right i mean from a i think from a man's perspective anyway, it's you, you learn, I think with age becomes wisdom and with wisdom, hopefully comes a bit of patience and then some more insight into like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 28 years old anymore. Um, but mm -hmm. moving water doesn't freeze. Right. So you need to keep moving, keep active. Sure, yeah. Right. And, and treat your body yeah. well, love your body and feed it. Right. And yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, and what better way to keep the weight off than to go ride your bike for five hours? And you don't even, yeah. you don't even really yeah. have to crack a sweat. You can you can no. ride for a hundred k and just yeah. just cruise and be mellow yeah. and take your time. Now, one of the pleasant surprises I had was how well I slept mm. and how restorative that was mm -hmm. because I literally. Uh, so as the days got shorter, of course, in Calgary, in, in Banff, we started with dark at 10. But in New Mexico, it was dark at 7. Wow. Right? That was, uh, you know, in October, late September, 7.30 for sure. Um, yeah, and that was, but I slept so well, I had complete recovery. And that's why we only needed to take four days off, and two, and and at least one of those days was a you know was a replace the tires day. So yeah, yeah being uh, lying in your tent for twelve hours really does repair your body. <laughs> way too. Sleep, yeah. Would you guys not ride in the night? You would just kind of go until say dusk yeah, and then we, call it. We. Yeah. We were actually cautioned uh, that riding in the night could be a little trickier, a little more risky because it could trigger mountain mountain lion predation mm. because they are night predators, mm -hmm. and so that. But also, yeah, we and 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 we didn't have. Uh, we didn't have that great a light anyway, mm. but no, we found we were, you know, we we're pretty efficient in the morning, but eight hours in the saddle is enough. Yeah. And, enough. and we did have, we had a couple of really difficult headwind days where particularly the day from Cuba to Grants, uh, where we would really, really have, it was a, we were burning a thousand calories an hour probably and going eight kilometers oh, an hour. So frustrating. <laughs> right. Um, but, but Liz is a superb athlete. And 
uh, often I would tuck behind her. And by tuck, I mean within six inches. And that was a huge help. And then the odd time, then I would lead and she would tuck. But mostly I did the tucking behind her because she's just such a superb athlete. Well, we also, uh, especially in New Mexico, we got up around 5 to get going when the sunrise and the winds wouldn't often be up until about 11. So that was another strategy as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. And we would, um, our breakfast of choice was uh, whole oats and dried fruit. You'd cook that or you'd soak it overnight or pre soak it. Yeah. So it was cold, but it was energy. We compared notes with another couple a couple of days before we finished and they were our age and, and our menu selection was exactly the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oats in the morning and then a combination of dried salami, cheese and peanut butter on flatbread for lunch. Yeah. And for dinner we often had vacuum packed chicken salmon or tuna with noodles and cheese <laughs> and we ate a lot of nuts nuts go a long ways oh yeah i'm a, I'm a nut guy it really lost our our uh, need our want for any cliff bars or <laughs> any real uh sugary snacks it was it was uh, especially at the end when we were we had lost a lot of weight it was just the fat so yeah. hunks of salami yeah. was was the go-to it was a rather novel to be in that situation too kind of to be able to eat whatever you want yeah but but not only that but we would say okay what's the most what's the most efficient how can we carry the most calories right nutrient density right calorie density yeah Yeah. carry the most calories So, so so sometimes for example when we we would actually um yeah, when we went to these little places like Abiqui or Grants or Silver City, Salida, when we left them, um, we we would have a we would have a restaurant breakfast uh, with as many calories as we could take, and then I would take a side order of bacon, right, and just put it in my feed bag. Mm-hmm. Now another interesting thing, and I. This was common with the other men I spoke with. Um, how how different our bodies are. Um, Liz could you know ha- have that oatmeal breakfast and go several hours. Ah, interesting. So, and I think it had to do with she's able to access her brown fat. For me, I had to graze every hour. Right. Um, I think everyone's biologically have- different. I, I think I, yeah. I'm the same way. Well, I'm no, I, I'm probably a bit more like Liz where I would get up and I wouldn't have breakfast. I wouldn't need really need breakfast. And then oh. if I hit a town, I would, uh, I would load like kind of like you did at breakfast and then I wouldn't really need to eat that much at all. And I, I'm the same way. I'm kind of the charcuterie guy. I'll bring like hard cheeses and salamis and super calorie dense mm-hmm. foods. But I think what, and then you see people, you'll ride with people who are shooting gels and eating cliff bars. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of a low carb guy rather than I don't, I, and less packaging the better, right? Whole foods mm-hmm. when you can get it. 
but it just it just shows you that we're all so different and some people mm-hmm. can go like hours and and access their fat stores and just mm-hmm. keep going forever and and, and some can't and you, you figure mm-hmm. that out pretty quick when you're in the saddle for eight hours <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. did you find uh did you ever run out of food or did you always have enough food no, we did really well and, and miraculously so because there were some times that, uh, there was three days without getting food and I was able to sort of get spot on to the, oh, nice. the time to get that uh, cliff bar again uh, with, with what we had. So uh, right. nuts go a long way. Yeah. So we had uh, these little bags on our handlebars that we called snack bags and we would just load them with a lot of nuts yeah so and also uh, different gels and cliff bars bars, but um we we were really good about our our food what we had but we also carried emergency oatmeal that we didn't touch right a little backup yeah yeah and we you know and and it would go in the bottom of my sleeping bag bag just you know in a plastic bag and it was just there so we knew that if we had a you know had a breakdown or 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 were locked down in weather, you know, that we would have, you know, that we could, con- you know, continue because it's the, because running out of food is like running out of gasoline in your car. You're not going anywhere. And water, right? Yeah, More importantly, water. probably water. Yeah. 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 So um, any advice for, for um, folks that in your age group who might be, tentative about trying something like this yeah i think for myself just overall don't be intimidated and don't plan it's so easy to get in this vortex of uh internet sites of all the best panniers the best this and that and and just nothing's the best it's what works for you and by trial and error you will know so just knowing that you can do something rigorous if you have to get off your bike so be it but you can do it, and that planning does detour yeah. from all those magic right. experiences that happen when you're um, on a trail and, and going at your own pace. I would add that, yeah, I wouldn't, but it's important to, um, we would have been better off if we had actually done a bike packing trip before this. Now, we were banking on our cross-Canada tour, our England tour, our New Zealand tour, but this is different. This is much different. Like from a, the, from a, the, a trail surface? Like I was going to ask that earlier. Is this the first time you did an off-road tour? This yes. is the first time we did an off-road tour. Yeah. I would have, if I, now, we probably put about 200K on our on our bicycles but not enough to realize that our gearing wasn't adequate for our age group. Um, and so, I, yeah, my advice is do it, but go do a practice run. Mm. Go, go on a week. Go for a week somewhere. Uh, and, and then um, when, you, when you pack your stuff, and you think you have what you need, throw half of it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I would say do it. 
but I would I would do a practice run uh, somewhere, you know, for you know for even three or four, you know even for three or four nights. So for the most part, I would say that you guys, uh, you know, a lot of people fear for their safety. You know, uh, the the scariest thing uh, in the woods at night. I've said this a couple times before. Is are us, man? Like humans are the most dangerous yeah. thing. I I kind of think. And um, did you guys feel safe on the entire trip? Yes, I would say that this is. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm quite serious when I say this. The most dangerous part of our trip was the hour and a half drive to the airport. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, we did get over because we're not Westerners. We did get over that sort of fear of air encounters. And I'm, I'm glad for that too. We did carry um, pepper spray on our waist and have gone sort of go through that. But uh, you just have to sort of accept uh, fatalism as well too mm-hmm. and not overly concerned uh and with this young swede who said she was feeling perfectly safe i i would concur especially uh in montana wyoming colorado people are just honest hard-working people more or less uh new mexico in the north part because it's so open you could see your tent miles and miles away and we did uh end up the one day that we were very exposed to stay in a sort of a gated uh, variety store gas station setup at night just to feel safe. Mm. But we didn't have any encounters. That was more just a, a cautionary uh, a piece of advice the store owners gave us. But apart from that, it's a very safe route. Yeah, and I think going back to what yeah. you were saying about uh, just the great interactions you had with people, 99 mm-hmm. point nine 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 percent of the people that you're going to encounter are mm-hmm. you know just humans right they're just normal people mm-hmm. going about their mm-hmm. day and curious what you're up to and want to help yeah. and yeah yeah that's great yeah. yeah so wild west route <laughs> uh, yes, uh, <laughs> that the other day <laughs> and and certainly it's nice to know uh, we could do it. It's nice to know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to stick to Canadian Rockies the next uh, trip. We might. We're thinking of doing. So for our route, we we decided to go through Fernie and sort of the more direct route down to Montana. We're thinking of doing and and we started in Banff because we'd already cycled the Icefields Parkway from Jasper to Banff. Right. And so, but we, but one possibility is to do the Jasper, uh, do that Jasper route. And then in Sparwood, do that wilderness route, the more wilderness alternative. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, with the Galton pass and, uh, and then, and then circle back up to Fernie and sort of do that loop. That's what we're thinking of. And we might even invite another couple if they want to, to do it, you know, do it with us. If we did it with another couple, it would sort of be, we'd be semi-independent. Like we'd, we'd sort of agree, okay, this is where we're going to camp tonight. And then sort of go be pretty well be separate during the day. There's just too many decisions to make Mm. that it's easier with your 
your spouse, then try to come to a consensus with four people. So I, I just think it would be more more easy for everyone mm -hmm. to just ride here or there, but just not have the onus as a group of four to make decisions for everybody. I'd recommend you guys try or have a look at um, doing what you just did down to Fernie and then hop on to the BC Epic 1000 route and head east towards, uh, or sorry, west towards Merritt. Yes. That, right. that well, would be could, beautiful. You could, you could email that to us. Yeah. Or okay. send, it, send the information on Messenger. There is a, a, a book coming out that I've got my name on. Ryan it's Corey's a, book? Yes, yes. yes. So I'm looking forward to, to that. That's going to be the book I'm going to really value. I, I want to stay in Canada for a while yeah. and get to know the I hear that. I think the logistics of getting back from the tour divide must have been, or to and from, must have been challenging. Well, I'll let uh, the listeners know it was uh, very streamlined. We went to a small town just before the border. I don't know if it's 60 miles before the border. 47, yeah. Hey, and there was a I, guy that had, uh, it's called I, um, I, a I bike ranch. And he, right. throughout the winter, would collect bike boxes. So he stayed at his place, and uh, then he would pick you up. And he nice. used to sort of have a 24-hour 7 service, and he would then drive you to bus stations or airports. So um, right now, there's a great support. What we did was we boxed our bikes up, and we sent them to our friends in Michigan. And it, the service only cost $75, so it was it was yeah. a, a great way to do it. Bike, Bikeship.com, and I'm happy to... So his name is Jeremy Smart. He lives in the in the incredibly small Jeffrey Smart. He lives in the incredible small place called Hachita. And yeah, he was excellent. He he uh so when we got to Hachita, uh we'd had a fairly long day, an eighty mile day. Uh and um He fed us pizza. <laughs> fed this beer shower and then, you know, the next day uh we we left at at early dawn, cycled the forty seven miles to Antelope Wells, and then he came and picked us up, brought us home, brought us to his place, and then fed us, boxed our bikes, uh, and again we use BikeShip.com, which is if you're shipping to the United States, it's superb. They do ship around the world, but uh, um, and and we shipped them to friends in Michigan for 65 bucks US. Uh, you know, so, so, and then he, he drove us to Lordsburg. And then from Lordsburg, we took the bus to Tucson. Uh, and it was great not having our bikes. Oh, yeah. Then from the Tucson bus station, we just, uh, took a bus to, you know, to another bus to our, to the quality inn by the Tucson airport. Um, so that really worked, that really worked out quite, quite well. We had a chance to visit the botanical garden in, in Tucson. The um, Hachita is the little spit in the wind uh, before the, the border fence. And there is um, a variety store there. And the proprietor said, that uh, it's about 200 people that come, uh, uh, you know, coming to the store each 
year, and that would be a destination to get food. So not many people really finish up, 200 people. So right. it, it, it was yeah. quite a, an accomplishment for us, I yeah. believe. You guys must be really proud. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, so this guy Jeffrey Sharp told us about 2,000, the bike stores in Banff and I say about 2,000 people start and about 200 finish. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, people do it in chapters and mm. people get yeah. bike repair stuff that can't uh, be fixed. So uh, there's many factors for that. But it, uh, you, any picture I see at Antelope Wells, people are beaming at mm. the end because it is something to be proud of for the accomplishment that we, we did. Well, you guys are still glowing. I can see you're still glowing from it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. And I guess I'm thinking that, you know what, in healthcare, all you can do is be an example. But in Ontario, healthcare is half our budget. And people not, you know, and in our lifestyle, it's so easy. It's so easy to become overweight because calories are so tasty, so inexpensive and so available. So we have to counter that. <laughs> and jumping on a bike is one way, one way to do it. <laughs> and if people want to do, and I just would say that if people sort of correct my earlier comment, that if people want to do this great divide and go with a group, and have people and you know pay someone to carry your gear great just get out there and move mm -hmm. just get out there experience life um be physical ideally do it with your best friend mm -hmm. and uh yeah okay. and i don't i don't want to be too negative about trek and uh, because i do want to say that trek provided us I'll just add this. Trek provided us superb groups. Are you still there? Yep. Trek provided us with superb <laughs> customer service. And I'll just share. We were in Abiquy. So we've come over 2,000 miles. And I noticed our tires were leaking fluid. Yeah. Because we, of course, had, had tubeless tires. And my one tire had a large bulge. I called and I called the bike store in Santa Fe because that was the closest bike store, 45 miles away. And they said, well, it would be four or five days before we could get new tires and there'd be a hundred bucks each. Oh, tires are so expensive. I called, I called Trek and I said, I love your bikes. Right? Yeah. And I said that, and I want you to know, my wife and I are doing the Great Divide. We've hammered these tires. We've put 2,000K on. Yeah. And it has not been gentle sometimes. But I said, all four tires are leaking, and I've got a big bulge on mine. And the store in Santa Fe is going to take four to five days to get them and they want a hundred bucks a tire. So much money. You know what they did? They couriered overnight four tires 
to that bike store free. That's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's just, that's, I think the, that's what I love about the bike packing thing. I think there's a really good positive vibe and the amount yeah. of support you can get. And, uh, you know, they want, the, Trek wants you to succeed as well because they know you're going to put information out there like you did on Facebook. It's like, look at these tires. And yeah. 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 That's great. And now another story about kindness of Americans. When the, we, we were at the Abiquy Inn and the manager of that inn knew that we had to go to Santa Fe because I asked him about the bike routes and how we could get there. He, he had hired a new chef who was new to there and his chef had never been to Santa Fe. So he gave the chef our truck and, and so his employee drove us to Santa Fe, <laughs> took all day, got our tires fixed and drove us back. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's just yeah. that the whole trail angel idea, right? Like, uh, yeah. 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 yeah there, there's, uh, there's hope for the human race, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's great. Okay. Well, Thanks for taking the time. It was amazing talking to you guys. Super inspirational. And uh, we'll do it again. Next time you do a big trip, don't hesitate to reach out to either to me or to Sarah. And uh, okay. we'll get you on to discuss and have some more trail stories from you guys. Awesome. All right. Okay. Take okay. care. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bob Almack and Liz Henderson. You know, I uh, neglected to mention uh, Liz Henderson's uh, tag on Instagram. She can be found there at, at Liz Keep Biking. Uh, give her a follow. Give her some follows and maybe she'll start posting pictures. I don't think there's anything there yet. But like I said at the beginning, it'd be awesome to, uh, to see some photos from them about their uh, upcoming trips. Sounds like they'll be coming maybe to the Rockies next summer. And, and I hope we're able to connect. I'd really like that. So Bob and Liz, thanks so much for your time. I also want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found some inspiration in it. Uh, I use that word inspiration a lot, don't I? I got to look up with this, um, look into a thesaurus and see if I can find another word for that. But what what other word is there? Inspirational. So uh, again, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, please head over to iTunes and rate us. Give us a five star rating, and I'd love to hear some feedback. So you can send either put a, a review on iTunes after your five star rating, or you can send me an email at bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com you can send uh, guest feedback or sorry guest suggestions and feedback uh, as well as your voice memos love hearing about your adventures so yeah go and buy a fat bike you can head on over to rebound cycle and, and buy a fat bike from them and they'll help you they have awesome customer service and until next time get out there ride bikes sleep in the woods and keep the rubber side down <laughs> <laughs>